If I'm not here to tell you, what if you were diagnosed with terminal cancer while raising a newborn baby? What if you thought your kid might have to grow up without you? What if you had to grow up without your mom? This is a series for my kid to make sure she is mothered by who I am, my experiences, and the lessons I've learned through my life and my work, whether I'm here with her in the flesh or not. Part biographical, part educational, this is a series on birth and life and death and finding freedom in diving headfirst into the ocean, rain or storm. Quality warning, there's a moment at about nine minutes in that you can hear some wind in the background while I'm out walking, but it only lasts for a minute and a half or two minutes. So just be patient with that. Thank you. Hi, Talia. Hi, Jessica. Welcome back. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing today? Well, today I'm not in the bath, but I am out for a walk (laughs) with my dog and my baby. And so there might be, instead of splashing water, there might be some, the odd car driving by or crow squawking, but that's, (laughs) so that's the agenda for today. That's what, that's what you get when you podcast with us. I am currently cooking um, cabbage rolls. So folks might also hear me chopping and stirring and rattling around in my kitchen. So welcome. This is what these podcasts are these days. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No high tech studio for us. Nope. We're not there yet. Maybe one day. Um, So we kind of um, left off last time on on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Um, We did unintentionally but um i think what we'll do today is kind of come back to some of the conversations we were having around preparing for death um Mm -hmm. and maybe delving into what that has what that preparation has looked like for you yeah so in terms of and then in terms of preparing for myself when I was thinking about what we should talk about today. I, I was tempted to say, to, to just start it off saying like, hi, everybody, FYI, all of you are going to die. <laughs> and um, just so you know, it's probably better if you know who you're going to call when that's happening in advance. <laughs> yeah. And as my father-in-law passed away a few months ago, he was diagnosed with cancer in the same year that I was a few months after me Um, and he passed away in late October and we can maybe talk a little bit about what I learned from that in another episode but it really got me thinking about how you know as we talked about last episode that birth and death are really similar and when people are preparing to give birth they don't wait until they're in the middle of the birth process to decide who are they going to invite to their birth and where are they going to give birth and who do they want to have with them when they birth? Like people make a plan. Yep. And yes, some things are unpredictable. Like people don't know exactly when their birth will start and they don't know exactly if the people they plan to have there will be available. And they don't know if they'll make it to the location they thought they were going to give birth in. And there's like things that are unpredictable and we still make like a general plan of what, of what we want. And I think that that's really important when it comes to death as well. So for me, I've started um, a binder 
if anybody if anybody's over at my house and feels like they're looking for it it's a pink binder with I don't know ferns on it or something (laughs) and it has things in it like um supplies for death and who would I want to be called when I was dying and where do I want to be and what do I have to do to have that happen and what do I want for Kedra and it's like a list of all the projects I have on the go for her so that people you know if I haven't finished all of them like people can either finish them for me or print them off as incomplete as they are but all existence and you know I started to think for me I would really prefer to die at home mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, again, because I see death like I see birth and I had my baby at home. I would like to die at home. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to know, like, you know, what would I need to do to make that happen? Um, part of why I would like to be at home is for myself. Like I think being in a familiar environment, you're in your own space with just people that you love or have chosen to support you through it um, could just help it be a more kind of calm and powerful and peaceful experience, but not just for myself, also for the people around me. Mm-hmm. I, I know in birth often people think like, Oh, home birth is nice for the person having the baby. But for those of us who attend home births, what we really see is, yeah, it's better for the person having the baby. And that's obviously most important, but it's also so much more comfortable for their support people. Yeah. You know, I think in birth partners often think they'll be more comfortable at a hospital birth because they'll feel safer and there'll be a lot of professional help around, but it's also like not their territory. It's an unfamiliar environment and they're not included in the same way and they don't know how to interact in the same way. And when when a, when a, if there's like a coupled client and the first birth is in the hospital and the second birth is at home, often at the end of the second home birth, the birthing person will say, oh, that was just so much nicer. Yes. But then the partner, if they were at both births, like walks around in this daze, like, oh my God, <laughs> that was so much better than last time. And they're like, you're laughing because you've seen it. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, like, you're laughing because you've seen it. It's like, they don't even know how much, how much more comforting it is to be a witness and a support person in these really big transitional experiences when they also feel safe and comfortable and on their own territory and capable of like, you know, you know, they, they know where the tea is that you like and they know it just comes so much more natural to support somebody when you're on your own familiar environment and you feel powerful and capable because it's your own home. And so then you become like the more useful, confident support person that you want to be because the environment is conducive to it and you're not also navigating strangers and strange sounds and strange equipment and needing to ask permission for things and not knowing where things are and not knowing what's allowed. And there's so much like equipment beeping that's unfamiliar and you don't know what it means. Like there's so much, there's so many stressors in an unfamiliar territory that are taken away at home. Um, And also for my daughter, like we're living in a time of like the COVID-19 pandemic where it's become very clear to me that at any time, 
the hospitals can just say nobody is allowed to come visit you. Yeah. And like imagine if I was in the hospital dying and my daughter couldn't come to say goodbye to me. Yeah. Like I just go to the hospital and never come home and she can't come see me. And that might, you know, that might not happen, but I'm not in control of it if I'm in an institution. Yeah. If I'm in my own home, I am in charge of who gets to be there and who isn't. And, um, you know, similarly with home birth, with kids, like kids at home birth are often, it's often a really good experience for the children to be present at a home birth. Again, where they're on their own familiar territory with people that they know, with their toys, like they can be as involved or as close as they're comfortable. And some of them really like to get close and some of them go take care of themselves in the other room. You have someone else go play with them. Whereas like a hospital birth with like little kids is really tricky because they're again, like they have not none of their stuff and nothing is familiar and everything's new. And there's all the strangers. Like it's a really not usually a good idea to bring your kids to your hospital birth, but it can be a really beautiful and amazing and kind of family bonding connecting thing to have them at a home birth. Yeah. Um, so it's like, when I think about where I want to be, it's partially what do I want so it can be the, the most kind of beautiful experience for myself but also for the people around me like what's what really is going to make the people around me have a good experience and leave them feeling as whole and peaceful and connected as possible while being really sad yeah I mean, it strikes me, and of course it'll come as no surprise to anybody that knows you or has followed your work for a while of how much your preparation mirrors what you tell people to prepare for their own birth. Um, And kind of regardless of where they are planning for that to happen, it's always um, imbued with a lot of intention um, and a lot of forethought. Um, and a lot of care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are like big transformative experiences. And if we give ourselves permission to really be mindful and intentional about them, we can really create them or set ourselves up for our best chance of being able to create them in, in a way that's going to feel really good. Um, and if we, but if we don't spend any time on it at all, then we don't, and you know, of course, unexpected things can happen, like, but we have no chance of getting what we want if we don't take any time to give some thought to it. And do you remember at what point you kind of came to, came to the planning process in this way? I think it was... I I suppose I probably started thinking about the specifics of preparing for my death after being diagnosed with it having spread. Okay. Um, Kind of thinking about the more specifics of like, okay, what would I need to do? Who would I need to call? What do I need to set up for myself now? Um, For a couple of reasons as well, like it's not as... I know a few people who've had family members who've died at home. So I asked them and they got in touch with people 
on my behalf, including you were one of those people that did some digging on my behalf. Because I realized, you know, like you have to know, like if you're going to, if, if you want to die at home, like who, who would support you? Like who would support your family? Who would be the medical people that you could call um, and help organize that? And there are some steps to take, like finding a family doctor who's comfortable doing palliative care that would kind of um, liaise with a palliative care team. Whereas if you don't have that, it's a lot more difficult and it's good to know who those people might be ahead of time. And those are things that we don't really think like, like take time to think about in our, in our modern, in our modern culture. Yeah. So yeah, I would say after metastasis, that's when I started kind of being a little bit more intentional. Um, And then when my father-in-law passed away, I think I took it to like a next level because I realized, and I like, I won't speak for him or his family members, but there were a lot of things about his death that I found really beautiful and special and it also made me realize um you know sometimes we get a lot of warning and sometimes we don't and I don't want to be researching my options in terms of care for myself and how like what's it what what my death is going to look like for myself and my family when I actually kind of get to a point in my health where it seems like that's more imminent, mm-hmm. like that's not really for me, the time that I want to be looking into all of those things. I want to know about it in advance. So I think, I think, I think when that kind of family experience happened, it made me kind of pull out some things I'd been working on and thinking about. And I had kind of a to do list and it made me kind of take the next step of being like, okay, but what are like the practical things? Like, what do I actually need to do so that I can just set this, you know, have like, have a little bit of a plan and set it aside and it's not on a to-do list anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that I realized was, you know, I want to know, you know, just like with a home birth, sometimes people would consider like, what would be the reasons to transfer to the hospital? I also wanted to know like, like what tools are available at home? What would be the reasons that some people would go to the hospital? Um, what options do I have around that or what resources can I gather in my community to like minimize the number of reasons that I might um, need or choose to do that. And also it seems easier to me to think about those things now when I'm still feeling healthy and well, because the, the concepts of them are more abstract, like um, as opposed to like waiting until I'm having a specific symptom and in a specific scenario and needing to ask lots of questions about that because I have been really I've been really mindful that having like a terminal illness I want to be really careful about like psychosomatic symptoms and I'm really intentional about like I don't really love being asked how I'm physically feeling all of the time and I don't really want to be thinking about um, what are the like, I don't want to talk myself into feeling a symptom that I'm not yes. having because I know it's possible for me to start having yeah. it. So I've been really careful about, about that. And I think if I wait to kind of explore my options in terms of like under what scenarios would it be easy to be at home or more challenging to be at home or what would I need to arrange to be at home? And there's not that many things to consider once you start asking the people that know about it. It's, it, feels, it feels easier to talk about things now when they're not in my face. Whereas if I'm already, because then it's more... I don't know, it just seems more daunting and like that I have to like picture it in the time where if I can just kind of get a general idea of what my options are now when I still feel healthy, 
it's it's just like there's a comfort in it being so abstract like a little more abstract right now yeah absolutely and there's less of an like in the immediacy of anything kind of like you said you don't that's not the point when you want to be doing the preparation you want the preparation to be done ahead of time so that when any scenario shows up that you already have a plan in place and you've already had those discussions and you've already kind of made the choices ahead of time yeah because it's like you know we were talking last time about just being present and being in the moment and I want to be able to enjoy and be present for every phase as it comes and not be so distracted by trying to like frantically figure out oh no like who are the who are my resources who could I phone who could help me with this who could help me figure this out what are my options in a time when I'm you know confronting like an increasingly challenging time in my life like I want to do it now when I'm well resourced and the people around me are well resourced and the people around me are you know it's and it's also it also seems like kinder to the people who I'm relying on for support to have them help me do that digging now than wait till I tell them like at some point hopefully in the very far future like I've got some really bad news and this is where the cancer is and now I'm having symptoms and I really need some support. So can you go do a bunch of errands for me, which people will be doing, but I'll need them to be doing different <laughs> errands, not like not research, <laughs> not things we could not research, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I guess that kind of leads into, I think that in that same blog post that we had referenced last time um, that you had written, you had talked about preparing your community to show up. And I feel like a lot of your writing has already done that. Um, and you always reference people telling you, you know, I have very loving but firm boundaries. Um, <laughs> and so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how how your boundaries are serving you in terms of your own discussions around death with your community and how you're how you're preparing your community to show up for you. Well, you know, there's the thing is, I think it's a little bit twofold because I think I'm, I'm actually a lot more, I've realized, like, I'm actually more comfortable setting and expressing those boundaries in writing than I sometimes am one-on-one depending Hmm. on the person. And so I've done a lot of writing and that I feel like I've been able to like express my philosophy and what I need and what I want and things that are helpful and things that are not helpful. And then in my day to day, I have people in my life that I'm comfortable talking about preparing for death with. And then there's people that I actually really avoid it with. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is there's people in my life that I feel too Mm -hmm. protective of. Like I feel um, this is going to be too confronting for this person to talk about with me. And so I, mm-hmm. I don't. Um, or because I feel like their personality is not one that really will understand the message I'm trying to convey. And I'm protecting myself by not having to field their reactions or misunderstandings or misinterpretations of what I'm asking mm-hmm. for or wanting. And um you know, because some people are really comfortable with me saying what I want and what I need and just showing up and receiving that and, you know, dialoguing with me about it. 
And some people really interpret boundary setting as like a personal <laughs> insult. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, which is interesting. And so I actually was um, thinking about yesterday about how maybe even just doing this podcast is an accidental way to educate <laughs> my community for the people that I actually feel more either intimidated by or protective of to talk to directly about it. It's a secondary benefit of the podcast. That's right. It's another accidental. There's probably be all kind of accidental benefits. I was thinking recently that that might be one of them. Absolutely. And I mean, what do you want to talk a little bit about what has been helpful, like what you have, what you have received from your community in, in not even just in preparation, but through kind of this process of, you know, entering motherhood, um, getting diagnosed, getting diagnosed with metastases, like what have you, what have you found from your community that has really been um, a surprise or not a surprise, but really grateful for or um, most helpful. I, I know you don't like to, to talk in superlatives. I know we can't pigeonhole you into any favorite thing, but maybe, maybe, <laughs> right. maybe talk a little bit about, um, some of the things that you have found helpful. Oh, there've been, there's been so many things. I think, I mean, there've been so many ways my community has shown up to care for me. But I think in terms of like the interactions, I think the people who are really able to, I mean, maybe it's just what I said before is the people who are able to hear me talk through um, my plans and my preparations and my desires and my boundaries without personalizing Mm -hmm. them. Um, And without like chalking me up to like already being dead or halfway dead you know sometimes sometimes I sometimes I just feel like like screaming like can everybody take a look at me please and realize that I'm still like got color in my face and I'm walking around and I'm going hiking almost every day and taking care of my kid like I'm still I'm still here and very much alive (laughs) um and I really value the people who are there with me. And I also understand that different people process things differently and different people have different, um, like a different relationship with death or different relationships with death. And it can be a little more, a little harder for them to hold at once the potential future of my death as well at the same time like appreciating that I'm still very much here and alive and not currently actively dying. And I, like I, so I do understand that that's a very difficult path to walk and not everybody has like a lifetime of thinking about similar things because of attending births or um, experiencing death in different ways. So I, I understand that a lot, but it is, it is easier for me um, when people are willing to kind of try to get on board with holding like holding one of those in each hand absolutely 
Well, I was going to ask you all the questions about how birth has informed your preparation, but of course you've already answered all of those questions because you intuitively <laughs> knew it was coming. Um, well, and it's so true because even like simple things like supplies, like one thing, um, you know, you think about like, what would you want to have with you when you like at a, at a home death? And, you know, sometimes I tell people like when they're preparing for birth, like a home birth, like you don't really need anything. Like don't Google a home birth supply list because it'll give you like a three page long list of like all kinds of things that you don't actually need and will make it sound really complicated to have a home birth like you don't need all the things like you you birth is normal you're just going to give birth you'll use the things in your house and there's only like a handful of things yeah that you might need and that's true for sure and there are some things that are like nice to have an idea of and for me I think about the same thing as birth like what kind of environment would I want and like how do I set an environment that feels peaceful and serene and welcoming and like a space that you really want to be in and kind of music that you want to listen to and even though you know like I made myself a birth playlist knowing that everyone lots of people make themselves a birth playlist and they may or may not want to listen to it during their birth I listen to mine a lot during pregnancy I didn't listen to it during Mm -hmm. my birth at all but that's almost not the point like the point Mm -hmm. is in the preparation and I mean I guess that that's you know um maybe a good question to end on which is that what has what has the preparation given you like even if the things that you have prepared for aren't necessarily if you don't use the playlist type of thing or you don't use the equipment yeah what has the prep the process of preparing given you you know this is like a really weird thing to say, <laughs> but <laughs> and I don't want it to get misinterpreted but because I very much like being alive and very much intend to stay alive for as long as possible but in a way preparing um, has gotten to me a place of almost seeing death as something to look forward to when it does have to happen hopefully as long away from this moment as possible um like I think birth is like this incredible, powerful, transitional experience that everyone goes through in life and can be really amazing. And I, the act of thinking about like, where do I want to be when I die? And who do I want to be with? And what kind of environment do I want? And what impact will that have on me and my kid and my family makes me see death as like the same thing where it can be you know, I said something the other day, someone, I, we were talking about death and someone said something about how like, well, of course everyone wants their death to be peaceful. And I thought like, is that, you know, is that really what I want? Like, do I really want like a peaceful death? And it's like, I want a peaceful environment, but that doesn't mean it has to be pain-free or easy or super passive. Like I, but I want it to be like what I would want for my birth, which is like powerful and respected and in an environment where I feel like safe and in tune with my body and able to work with my body as it goes through a really big transition and and starting to kind of make preparations for feeling more confident that I will be able to, you know, most likely create an environment and 
have people to call who can support me and my family and having that happen makes me feel like when it is happening, I can almost find a way to enjoy it. I'm usually able to hold it together during our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Um, But I just had this flash of you teaching prenatals and telling, telling people in the class about how useless it is to do, (laughs) how useless it is to do like, a birth visioning session. I I mean, maybe not useless, but that, you know, you tell this story about how everybody kind of pictures their birth and talks about, you know, I wake up in the morning and I have these gentle sensations and then I decide I'm going to go for a walk in Stanley Park and it's like this beautiful sunny day. And then eventually the sensations kind of get a bit more powerful and a little bit more stronger and then I go home and then I start like dimming the lights and lighting candles and you walk through the whole thing and you say like and nobody's birth ever turns out that way (laughs) right (laughs) and so what what you encourage people to do instead is to envision how they want to feel in their body um and in, and so I kind of see this parallel between like talking about death as like a peaceful process can have utility. It definitely has utility for some people, but like it almost has more usefulness in this situation to think about like how do I how do I feel confident and how do I feel um, I mean, it sounds weird to use the, the word strong, but I do, I think that that kind of is useful in this discussion. How do I feel strong in meeting that experience and confident in meeting that experience and powerful in meeting that experience? Um, and what are the words that come to mind when I think about that, as opposed to just like, it's going to start with a walk in Stanley Park, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think like, just like in birth, things don't have to be easy to be beautiful. Yeah. I hope you got got tissues over there, Talia. (laughs) Just laugh crying my way through it, Jess. We got this. lots of of oxytocin flowing through this podcast everybody today exactly (laughs) and you know I don't like in saying that I never want to downplay this like indescribable feeling of what it means or might mean to leave my daughter when she's way too young like I don't, so I don't say this to being like, it's all good, like, it's all great no matter what. And I'm just going to accept it. And because part of that is really, really true. And there's like a, there's a compartmentalization between all of that and um, not wanting to minimize the impact on a small child of losing Absolutely. their mother. Absolutely. And I think, like you said, like the way that you want people, to hold both 
the possibility of your death being too soon and the fact that you're very much here right now in each of their hands and be able to hold both of those things that we can also hold the sadness and the loss that that would be for your kid and also the power and preparation and beauty and what you're trying to build for yourself around your death that both of those things can exist at the same time yeah yeah yeah, and maybe that, you know, maybe that's the, maybe that's the lesson of the day or the, like, the underlying theme of the day is, I, don't, I wonder, like, if it's cultural or if it's maybe a failing in our language where our language is very um, black and white and there's not a, it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about feeling grief and mm-hmm. hope at the same time or... Um, excitement and tragedy at the same time you know we have words that are kind of these like contrary opposing words but you know it's not just birth and death where you feel or hard times where you're feeling often like these two things at once but all of life is like that you know it's not just like you're either happy or you're sad or you're brave or you're afraid or you're strong or you're emotional like there's like all of those things walk hand in hand together and we just don't have the right well you know I was even struck like not that this podcast is for me but I was struck by the way that you were talking (laughs) about building your own confidence building your own confidence in your own experience of death you know and how a I think that that is at the root of kind of everything that you have done in birth work like I feel like at the foundation and the roots of what you did with the clients that you worked with was really about building their confidence Um, and that how you're transcribing that to experiences of death is not something that we think about or talk about you know that um, death and confidence are often held as like very polar opposites. And so thinking about bringing those concepts together and that they do coexist and that there's a way to build confidence in that experience is, um, again, not that the podcast is for me, but something that, <laughs> something that I am taking <laughs> away from this discussion. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're taking things away from it, Talia, because otherwise you might get and bored. bail on the project. Quit. No, I'm here. Don't bail on the project. I hope, you're, hope you're getting at least as much out of it as you're putting in. Well, you know, every every class I ever took with you and every birth we ever went to together, you kind of ingrained in me. We would walk away and you'd say, okay, Talia, what did you learn today? And so it seems like this podcast is going to be the same, that each time we do it, even if it's not for me, I'm going to have to take away a lesson. that's really that actually brings a tear to my eye because gloria my gloria lemay if you're listening you'll know that you'll recognize that as a line that you always asked me when you were taking me to birth with you so thanks for thanks for passing along absolutely thank you gloria for the yeah the legacy of learning (laughs) legacy of learning legacy of learning um all right is that the note that we're ending on? <laughs> okay, well, I guess so. I think, I think that was so. a very I think that's a pretty good yeah. note. I mean, it was powerful for me. We'll see. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Love Dahlia. you too. Okay. I'm Jessica and talking with me today was Talia Kleinplatz of Common Heart Photography. You can find me on Instagram at Jessica Austin Childbirth, where I provide lots of free education on birth and related insights and where you can learn about my doula training and prenatal classes. If you benefit from the education I provide and wish to make a contribution to my projects for my daughter, you can find my fundraising campaign in the link in my Instagram bio. No pressure though, it's just there because folks ask for it. I'll finish with my favorite poem, The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So rest in the grace of the world, people, and be free. See you next time.